Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. And now if, y'all, if y'all want amen real good, if, you, if you'll just sit there and just, you know, don't amen or don't do anything, I might be able to finish this <laughs> tonight. Uh, see there, she's egging me on. We might, might not get through. Hallelujah. This is Habakkuk. And, and uh, let's look at the second chapter of Habakkuk. In uh, chapter 2, verse number 2, the Lord answered and said, write the vision. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Notice we've been talking about a church vision and the significance of the vision of the local church in your own personal life. And that we've established the fact that when God raises up a church, there is a calling on each church, that all churches are not created to do the same thing or called to do the same thing. Now, in general terms, there are some things that, of course, apply to all, all churches. We're all supposed to preach the gospel and get people established in the faith and disciple people in the Lord and so forth and win souls and there's a lot of things. But then the specific emphasis uh, that, uh, that a church brings to a community, so forth, uh, varies. And uh, so God raises up churches. He, gets, he gives churches vision. And uh, turn with me to Acts 26. Acts 26. And we'll read about our church vision. Verse number 16 says, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. We know, if you've been coming to our church any length of time, this is the vision that God spoke to us. This is the purpose of our church. What what are we called to do? To be ministers and witnesses of the things we have seen and of the things that he is still revealing to us. He's not revealing anything contrary to what he's revealed, but he's revealing more of the same, giving us a deeper understanding, a deeper appreciation, a deeper application of the things that that we have seen all along. And, uh, you know, I know more today about what God has given us in Christ Jesus than I did 35 years, 36 years ago. I, it, it's the same truth, but, but it's a deeper understanding of it. And, and we've received enlightenment, and the Lord has shown us additional things concerning the move of the Spirit, uh, concerning our role uh, in these last days and in, in revival and prayer, just a number of things. And, uh, and we're pursuing that. Now, verse 19 says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Notice 
Every church has to have a heavenly vision, not just something that somebody came up with. Amen. And whether you're aware of it or not, a whole lot of churches today have been established with, with man's reasoning. They were never called of God. And they have their own agenda, their own vision. And it's usually copied. It's usually a, a sign of a, sort of a, a amalgamation of, of, you know, different things that pastors or people have heard, you know, and souped it all together and stirred it up. You know, and this is our church vision. Well, a pastor in a congregation needs to hear from heaven. Amen. Because only a heavenly vision will last. Amen. And the reason churches many times go through so many conflicts over the years, and we'll talk about this tonight in a little more detail, is because they never really had a firm foundation to start with. And so we've, we've established that God raises up churches. He imparts a heavenly vision, a calling upon that church. We've also established the fact that uh, the vision of the church that God plants you in becomes the vision for your life as well. That, that you have, as a Christian, you have a part to play in bringing about the vision of the local church. That's why God joins people to local churches. It's, it's not the only reason, but it's a significant reason. Of course, one is to receive nurturing and receive uh, edification, to be fed and to be fellowshipped and all of those things. But it's a two-way street. I said it's a two-way street. There's a contribution. God intends for every member that he joins to a church to take up the vision of the church as their own and like it said here, that he may run who reads it. Not that he may sit around and, and, uh, and, and, and just you know, gaze off into space, but that he'll run with the vision. That means take the vision as your own and run with it, pursue it, amen? And so um, uh, this going back to Habakkuk again, let's look at that passage again. There's something here that that uh, pastors and churches need to know, and it's something that's I've really never heard preached before. I've never heard anybody preach uh, on on some of the things that I've said the last few weeks in this series, and and what I'm going to say tonight. And and it's something that because people don't know it, it causes a lot of confusion and a lot of trouble in churches. He said uh, in verse number three, "For the vision is yet for an appointed time." But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. In other words, ultimately, it will come to pass. The vision that God gives a congregation will not come to pass overnight. There is an appointed time. There is a time for its fulfillment. Now, my personal, this is my personal opinion, uh, my personal opinion, though, though I think it's, it's well-grounded in Scripture and experience, the appointed time, I believe, is the time of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That every local church uh, uh, that's been called of God, God doesn't call a church together for 30 years. You're taking me up on it, aren't you? Uh, God doesn't call a church together for just 30 years or just 60 years and then fold. Amen. I mean, if it was called of God, then it has something to do, and that church should be doing that up until the time Jesus comes. And there is the full 
uh, potential and the full fulfillment of that vision is going to be something that church will pursue right up until the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're not going to be perfected uh, in every way here on this earth before Jesus returns. We'll always be reaching. We'll always be stretching ourselves. And um, so a church vision will not be fulfilled overnight. The greatest temptation a pastor, I, I, I kind of closed with this kind of parting shots last week. One of the greatest temptation a pastor faces, especially in the early years, is to quit. And, uh, and it becomes easy if a pastor doesn't understand what I'm saying tonight, it becomes easy to get frustrated, become impatient, because they don't see what God put in their heart coming to pass completely. Uh, they Many times pastors, and I've, I was guilty of this myself, many times pastors, when, when, when the call and the uh, vision is burning on the inside of you, you really think you're going to go out and you're going to, this is what God called me to do, and I'm going to accomplish it you know, in just a, a short amount of time. I really thought that uh, our church would accomplish what God had called us to do in three or four years. Now, it's illogical because then you think, well, what then? You know, if we have fulfilled everything God called us to do, what are we going to do now? And, uh, and so it doesn't make sense, but pastors don't think of it this way. This is why pastors, and I, and I could tell you example after example after example, I mean just one after another, of people I know personally, not somebody I heard about, but people that I know that were and are friends of mine that fell into this trap. Let me give you one example. A pastor friend of mine, now he had been in the traveling ministry for a number of years, and God called him to pastor. And uh, he, was a good, he is a good friend of mine. And I felt that God had, had called him. I agreed with it. And so I actually helped him uh, in some degree. I helped him, encouraged him in going to a particular place. And, and, and my wife and I both, we helped uh, in, a, in a measure, helped them get established in a starting, pioneering a church, you know, here on the East Coast, you know, of the United States. And, uh, but now the, one of the problems this, this minister had is he had been a traveling minister for a number of years. And... You know, all traveling ministers prefer to minister in large churches. Uh, there are some obvious reasons for that, okay? Not, it's not even necessary to go into. But it's, it's all, the, all the pastors or all the traveling ministers, they like to go to the large churches. But I know for a fact, because I, I, I've, I've known, you know, traveling ministers for, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And a lot of these, these people are dear friends of mine. And there's a blind spot that a lot, of, a lot of them have had and even do have today. And that is that they think the large churches are the successful churches. And the smaller churches are the unsuccessful churches. And that the pastors of the large churches are successful pastors and filled with wisdom. And the pastors of the small churches, well, you know, bless their hearts. And this particular man had been in the traveling ministry and I know from talking to him and I knew this all along and I knew it could be a problem and it ultimately became a real big problem but I knew that he really looked up 
to pastors of these large churches that he had been in. And so when he started his church, he tried to pattern his church like, you know, from right out of the gate, from the first Sunday. He wanted to be like the big churches. Well, that's just not going to happen. Now, every now and then, every now and then, a person will start a church in a city and, you know, on the first Sunday, they'll have, you know, 15 people and they're gathered in their, in their living room and the next Sunday, there'll be 35 people and the next Sunday, they're, they're, they're out on the porch and, in, you know, in the children's bedrooms, they're just everywhere and so they have to get to a, you know, move to a rented facility real quick so they, they rent a place that'll, that'll hold 100 people. In a couple of months, there's no room there and then they, you know, have to, move to go to another facility and at the end of a year, they're running 500. That does happen. And, and then in, in a couple of years, they're running 1,500 people. I mean, it does happen, but it is so rare. But those are the testimonies you hear. You know, when I was growing up as a, as a Pentecostal kid, all of the testimonies I heard about how people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all the testimonies were the glorious testimonies. You know, the, the, the testimony of brother so-and-so, how, you know, he was seeking the Holy Ghost and he saw a light from heaven, you know, one night. And he was in the altar and this blinding light came, hit him in the forehead, knocked him out on the floor. He was out in the spirit for, you know, for, for, for three hours, speaking other tongues and he saw visions of God and angels. You, know. you hear testimonies like that because testimonies like mine and yours, nobody give. They don't give those testimonies because they're dull. I came, you know, and I just in faith opened my mouth and began to speak and I didn't feel anything and I didn't see any angels and I didn't hear a choir singing and nobody, test, nobody gives those testimonies. So every Wednesday night, you know, we had testimonies every Wednesday night and we had certain ones they'd get up and say, praise the Lord, I was saved in 1918. I was sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost in 1925 and I had all these glorious things happen. Well, the same thing is true where churches are concerned. Those are the ones that people write about. They're the ones that people talk about. They're the ones that, that all the young pastors want to pattern their ministry after, and that's what they're going for. But on a percentage basis, on a percentage basis, I mean it's a fraction of, a, of 1% of churches, even in America or anywhere else, that that happens to. But that's what everybody thinks when they start a church. Nobody gets excited. Oh, I just believe God's called me to high springs and 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 in, I bless God. I'm confessing. In ten years, we'll have a hundred people. <laughs> nobody, but nobody believes for that. Amen. And in thirty-five years, we'll have two hundred people, two hundred and fifty people. Nobody. That's nobody puts their faith out for that. So everybody, pastors, when they start these churches, they believe, you know, they're going to win the city. They're going to take, you know, the, the, the territory and they're going to, you know, well, this pastor friend of mine, you know, he thought the same thing. And so he tried to establish a church right out of the gate, putting policies and, and, and structure and trying to, you know, and I knew it wouldn't work, but I knew he wouldn't listen to me because he, you know, well, I'm just a pastor of a small church and his buddies, you know, pastors of these big churches, they know what they're doing. And, uh, and I, you know, I tried to make some, some subtle suggestions. Didn't, he didn't even, didn't even hear me. Well, you know, uh, he, he thought, you know, after the first year, surely he's going to be running, you know, three or 400 people. And the second year is going to be, you know, gangbusters. Well, you know, a couple of years went by and, and that didn't happen. 
And so it wasn't long before he was looking to, to another pasture. You know, somebody said the grass is always greener, you know, on the other side of the fence. Well, it's also a lot greener over the septic tank. Okay? <laughs> Not everything that's fertile is fertile for a reason that you want. But anyway, you know, he got his attention on he's looking for something else because why? he's disillusioned. Now, now, he didn't say this to me, this particular man that I'm thinking about, but I know this happens. This is real common. Well, there must be something wrong. I, I must not have heard from God because we're not growing. I must not, there must be something wrong with my people or the town's not ready for me or, you know. And, uh, and it wasn't long until he had an opportunity to jump ship take a move, you know, and so he merged his fledgling congregation with another congregation, moved across the country and took another church and said, whoo, now this is an opportunity. A church somebody else had already started and, and you know, the, the reports were glowing. This is a wonderful church. I mean, it's just set up for you. You're going to come in and, and, and you're just going to step in where that pastor left off. Well, it was a shipwreck. He got over there to the other side of the country and, and uh, uh, the reports of the church were, were highly exaggerated. And there were, a lot of, there were a lot of problems with that church, money being one of them, and a lot of problems. And it liked to have cost them their life. I mean, it was a terrible situation. And struggled and struggled and struggled and eventually just got out of the ministry completely. There was a period of time where they, they kind of went back to traveling, you know, but they were just in no man's land, living out of their van. And uh, it was a terrible situation. Uh, and then, you know, after a while, they, they decided, well, you know, we, we've, got to hear, we've got to hear from God. You know, we, we've got to hear from God. So they talked to Pastor Angela and I about it. Said, we realize we have messed up. And uh, what do we do? You know, well, they, 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 they prayed and God led them to another church back on the eastern part of the country. And they're back. And God has blessed them there. But even though they're in a, a, what you would consider a mega city, still, you know, have what you would consider a small church, you know. But God is blessing them because they accepted and owned up to the fact that they missed God. I've, and, and that takes a big person to do that. I mean, he told me recently, we know we should never have left, you know, XYZ town. We made a big mistake. But it was because... They thought they would fulfill their vision and accomplish greater things for God than, than they were. See, they were accomplishing great things for God. They were accomplishing things in the lives of people, and that's what it's all about. And, uh, and so, you know, but a lot of men, I've seen, I've seen this happen over and over again. Like I said, people I know, friends of mine, they, they get out of their place of blessing. They get out of the place where God has ordained them to be because frustration with not fulfilling their vision as quickly as they thought it should or somebody else uh, evidently did or apparently did or allegedly did and uh, they get out of the will of God and I've seen these men flounder for years I mean flounder and ministry just struggle and, and, and never fit and, and sometimes like, uh, very often get out of the ministry I've seen uh, divorces take place with these, with these men these pastors and their wives and, and, and I mean God, uh, the enemy attacks everybody but you see some patterns and, uh, and sometimes it's, it's, they never get back to a place of blessing 
Some, very often you can't go back and make that right again. But if you'll see that you missed God and repent and say, God, I blew it. God will raise you up out of the ashes. But that's what doesn't happen so often though. People never see where they missed it. But anyway, it's easy to become uh, uh, frustrated. It's easy to become impatient. And uh, like I said in parting last week, you know, the old saying, uh, you know, showing up's half the battle. Well, if showing up is half the battle, then surely the other half is staying put. You know, uh, uh, stay put until you accomplish what God called you to do. But I I tell pastors all the time, you need to understand that it's probably going to take you the rest of your life. You'll get used to that. Whatever success you you seem to have in outward terms, in numbers and so forth, that's that's not a measure of of success. Amen. Well, church members can become impatient and disillusioned too. Amen. Uh, church members, especially when the storms of, of, of church life come to the church. You know, I said a few weeks ago, just like the storms of life, Jesus talked about the storms of life that come. He talked about the man that built his house on the sand, the other man, man that built his house on, on the rock, and the winds came and the waters rose and, and the, you know, the floods and, 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 the, and, and the rain and so forth. In other words, the storms of life come to everybody. The crisis of life come to everybody. If you haven't experienced any yet, just hang on. Because I promise you they're coming. Well, just like the storms of life come to every individual, the storms of church life come to every church. There really isn't any different. The devil doesn't have a different game plan. He's the same old dumb devil. Amen. And so uh, when the storms of, of church life come to a church, Many times that that is the breeding ground because well, the breeding ground is a sense of frustration. Well, we're not doing enough. We're not accomplishing as much as, as we should. So something must be wrong with our church. You know, we're going through this time of trouble and the church down the street, ABC Church, man, they're just going gangbusters. Why are they going and doing so so well and we're struggling like this? Surely something must be wrong with us. Well, like I said a few weeks ago, uh, it would take a a, a severely uh, uh, immature and and, uh, uh, mean, you know, person, Christian, to say, well, sister so-and-so was going through a difficult time in her life, then it must be that she's out of the will of God. You know, well, I always thought, I always thought there was something wrong with her. Now look. Well, you know, going through troubled times can be the result of disobedience. Disobedience breeds trouble. But going through trouble is not necessarily a sign of disobedience. Because if it was, the Apostle Paul was an extremely disobedient man. I mean, he saw trouble everywhere he went. He just, I mean, he saw every kind of trouble you can imagine and stuff you can't even imagine. You know, just living without shipwrecked, beaten, you know, cast aside, cursed, people defaming him. You know, I mean, in some places, even churches he raised up, he had people going around behind him telling him, well, you know, he's not an apostle. He's not called of God and God never spoke to him. He had to come back to Corinthians time and time again and and defend himself. Well, you know, being, being, 
going through trouble is not the sign necessarily that a person is out of the will of God. Sometimes it can be a sign that they're in the will of God. Tests and troubles and attacks from the enemy uh, come very often because of obedience. Amen. You know, in, in either case, whether it's with the individual or, with the, or whether it's with the church, the devil's still the devil. Isn't that right? The Bible says that we have an adversary. Who's the adversary? The devil. We need to recognize that the devil will always try to stir up trouble. He's always scheming, isn't he? Isn't he always scheming in your life? Isn't he always scheming in your finances and in your body and in your, 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 uh, uh, the things that are important and dear to you? He's always attacking, always working. All, he tries to stir up trouble in your life. Well, he tries to stir up trouble in churches. Much of the trouble that goes on in churches is because the devil is just stirring up trouble and people don't have the sense enough to recognize that, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is an attack of the enemy. You know, even in your own life, sometimes, sometimes we have trouble because we make bad decisions. But have you ever stopped to think about it? Even when, even when you're wrong and you've made mistakes, it's still the enemy that acts on that and tries to make the situation worse. Isn't that right? We still have an enemy. We still have an, uh, uh, an adversary. And we need to be wise and not ignorant of his devices. I said we need to be not ignorant. Churches need to not be ignorant. They need to be aware. We need to realize that the enemy tries to destroy churches. But because people don't look at it that way, like I said, they see things that uh, they think, well, the devil must be, you know, he's working in our church because we're doing something wrong or the pastor's got, a, you know, some deep, dark secret or, or, you know, we're just missing the mark somehow. Let's not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Amen. You know, I've seen people get jittery when the winds of opposition blow and they become introspective and critical. Well, what I've heard people, you know, a few years ago when we saw, you know, went through a time of testing from 2008 or so or seven to nine, somewhere in there for about three years. I mean, we, over a period of time, it was a trickle. We lost 25% of our congregation. I had people come and, and sit down in my office that, well, actually, very, very few people that left came and talked to us. One or, I think two, I think two families, two couples actually came and said, you know, Pastor, we're leaving. But, uh, you know, people ought to be honorable. I said, that's, that's dishonorable. But, uh, you know, I left a, a church one time. God called me out, but I went to the pastor and, and explained to him that God had called me and, and I assured him there's nothing wrong with the church or with you, you know. And, but, but anyway, this, this the one couple talked to me and they said, well, and if, what's going on? Why are you so upset? And you know what it came down to? It came down to because I had taught a series against drinking alcohol. I had taught against, you know, Christians uh, using alcohol, beer, wine, anything. And I based it on the scriptures. And, uh, and this man said, well, I just believe, you know, that, that uh, I ought to be able to drink a beer and have a glass of wine when I want to. I don't believe the Bible's against it and that God doesn't condemn me. I believe I ought to be able to do it. I said, well, you know what? You can do that. 
I never said you couldn't come to our church or be a member of the church. But we have some standards to uphold and it's, and it's my responsibility to uphold those standards and the Bible says that wine is a mocker. Strong drink makes fools of people. It's interesting that this particular man, I knew him when he was younger and he was almost an alcoholic at one time in his life and God cleaned his life up and delivered him and, I'm, and I thought to myself, now you're going to go back and play with that stuff again? Dear Lord. But you know, if somebody's, if somebody's going to find fault, you know, they're going to find fault with something. You know, because the enemy stirs something. We had people leave because they didn't like the move of the Holy Ghost. And they didn't like this and they didn't like that. Uh, they, and so other people, I had other people in the church that, that stayed, but they began to get jittery. People come to me, actually said to me, Pastor, what's, what's going on? And all these people are leaving our church. What's, what's wrong with us? What's going on? I said, I don't know. What's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong. Part of that is people weren't going in the direction God was leading us. God was leading us further in the flow of the Holy Ghost. And, and, I, and this other uh, couple came to me. That's what they didn't like. They didn't like the move of the Holy Ghost. They didn't like demonstrations of the Spirit. Well, you know, I'm not going to fall out with you, but I'm not going to compromise either. And so if people aren't going where we're going as a church, then it's really better for them and for us that they go somewhere else. Because it's just going to be hindrance if they're going to sit back, you know, and, and be mad all during church all the time. Every time the power of God moves, you know, they're going to sit back there and fold their arms and mutter and, and make fun and, and then meet, you know, among themselves and talk about it and rehash and have me for dinner, you know, and Pastor Angela for lunch. And, you know, uh, sometimes it's better for people just to move on. So, uh, you know, what's wrong with our church? The other church is doing great. Look what God's doing downtown. Look what God's doing across town. Look what God's doing here. Well, you know this. I don't know why people don't have enough sense to, to add things up. Just like trouble in someone's life is not uh, 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 an indicator that they're necessarily doing anything wrong, blessing in someone's life, apparent blessing, is not an indicator that they're doing something right. Just because someone is doing great and they're flourishing and their business is prospering and everything they touch turns to gold and just everything seems to be going, you know, in their that doesn't mean that they're following the will of God. Amen. Neither does another church's flourishing mean that God is blessing it. Amen. I, uh, I always like this scripture. Turn with me to one, Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Hallelujah. Psalm 127. Let me find it. Verse number one. Brother Hagen, I, I went for various, for, for, for a number of years, and I didn't know this. And I followed Dad Hagen very closely. I followed his life, his teaching. I was in just hundreds of his, of his meetings where, you know, live where I heard him minister. Uh, had the opportunity to, to actually become 
you know, a little bit close to him where, where we knew one another and, uh, you know, just followed him closely. But it wasn't until the 1990s. I don't know why I didn't hear this before. If anybody would ask what verse of Scripture, if there was one verse of Scripture, what verse of Scripture would you think Dad Hagen built his ministry on? Most people would say it's Mark 11, 23 or 24. That's what most people would say. Brother Hagen said, and, he, and I heard him say this, in, in, like I said later uh, in his life, he said he built his entire ministry on Psalm 127.1. It was his founding scripture that he based everything on. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And I thought about that. When, he, when, I, when I heard him say that, I thought, wait a minute. You're telling me a ministry like yours that has been proven in so many different ways uh, uh, and had such uh, uh, amazing fruit over the years that you based your ministry on this verse? That's what he said. He said he based his ministry on this scripture, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And he always said this when he taught from this passage. He said, notice... They got the house built. They labor in vain who build it, not who try to build it. They build it. They got it built, but it was in vain. They got it built, but God wasn't in it. There are a lot of, of, of ministries that have a lot of outward success and they're building great things, but God, but it, it appears to be great. They're, they're building their house, but it's in vain because God's not in it. Amen. Uh, if you hold, hold your place there, we don't have to hold your place. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's a passage we've uh, looked at. But there's something else I want you to see in it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. These truths will help people if they'll understand them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know, in, in this passage I've taught on a lot, teaching on, on the house of God, that, that in this passage the Apostle Paul uh, illustrates the church by the direction of the Holy Ghost as God's field and God's house. God's planted field and God's house. Now notice in verse number 9, the latter part of this, he said, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation, now who is he talking about here primarily? He's talking about ministers. Isn't that right? He's talking about himself, Apollos, himself and Apollos and these and other ministers. He said, I, I laid the foundation, other people build on it. He's talking about the foundation of a church. He said, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, well, that would be good, or wood, hay, and straw, that wouldn't be so good. He said, uh, each one's work will become clear. He didn't say it would happen overnight. He said each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. 
and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, it's talking about building the church, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple, the house of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He, he says that there, people can build on the foundation, but they can build a church with the wrong stuff. The wrong material can go into building a church. Some people build their church on things that will endure. Gold, silver, precious stones. Some people build a church on hay, wood, and straw. You don't always, you can't always see what it's built on until the fire comes. Every, like I said, storms of, of church life come to every, every church just like storms of life come to every individual. And a church eventually will be tested uh, even by fire. And what a church is made out of will eventually come out. Now, it doesn't come to pass on any set schedule, but it's coming. What, what would be gold, silver, and precious stones? What would be some things that, that are uh, 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 precious material to build a church on, to, to add to the foundation of Christ? Well, a pastor has to build his church on the Word of God. Amen. Not just the latest doctrine de jour. Not just, late, not just the latest, latest doctrinal fad. But the pure word of God. The full counsel of God. And primarily the Pauline revelation. Because the bulk of the message to the church is contained in Paul's epistles. You understand that the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ, they have their purpose, but the Gospels were not written primarily to the church except the Gospel of John and its theology more than anything else. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were, were, were literally written to the unsaved. The epistles were the, are the only, the epistles of the New Testament are the only documents that were actually written to the church, for the church. That doesn't mean that we don't, all of the, all scriptures give them inspiration of God. It's profitable for God, for, for correction, reproof, and instruction. We understand that. You understand what I'm saying? But you have to understand that, that New Testament realities are found in the epistles and particularly in the epistles of Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the, of the epistles of the New Testament, two-thirds of the New Testament, in fact. And so a church has to be established on on solid doctrine, not on fads, not on the latest trends, not on the latest gizmos. Uh, another thing that, that churches have to be founded upon, churches, a church has to be founded on, on, a, on a genuine vision from God. Did God call? Did he impart a vision or didn't he? Let me give you a quick story. My, my, my sister called me today and just a little background, in her little Pentecostal church up in Georgia, uh, it's a denominational church. You understand that their procedures are not like ours and a lot of their deliberations in church government, you know, God's not involved in at all because it's all man, 
you know, it's all of man. But anyway, God works the best he can in situations like that. They had a, a, their pastor of many, many years, beloved man, he left into the domination. They promoted him to, to a higher, you know, uh, overseer kind of job. And, uh, you know, in, in, their, in their district or state. So uh, there was a, there's a young man, a younger man in the church who had been there for many years. He's the song leader, the, you know, the worship leader. Well, he always fancied himself. Now, this I'm telling you one side. I, understand, I admit and acknowledge there can, there's, there's another side, but I don't know the other side, so I can't tell you. But, uh, but, but he always felt like that, that he was the heir apparent, that when the pastor left, he, left you know, he would take the job. The problem is he's not qualified. He's not, he's, he's according to the leaders of the church, not me, but my sister and her husband and other leaders in the church, he's, he's not pastoring material. And, and uh, well, he didn't get the job, and so they, they sent out a search committee, and they found another pastor. They found a pastor that they felt like this is a person that we need to, to bring in, and the leadership prayed about, and they brought this other pastor in. Well, this, this worship leader, now he's disgruntled because he was, you know, he was supposed to, in his mind, he was supposed to be the pastor. So he starts building a cadre of, of, of disciples and followers in, in the church, this undercurrent is going on that they don't like the new pastor because they like brother so-and-so, you know. So he's got this group that he is feeding and, and uh, so there's dissension in the church. And so this has gone on from, for a couple of years. And so my sister's talked about it a lot. She called me today to wish me a happy birthday. And she said, do you have two minutes? I looked at my watch. I thought, yeah, two minutes, right. I know where this is going. She said, if you got two minutes, I actually looked at my watch and smiled to myself. I better have more than two minutes. And uh, she said, uh, well, here's what's happened. She said, uh, he start, this, this worship leader, this, per, this choir director, he's, he's starting another church in town. This is a small town, big, a little bigger than High Springs, but it's small. He's starting another church. I didn't want to tell her, but I thought to myself, yeah, anybody could have seen that coming. He's going to start another church in that town. He's got a group of people in that church. He is going to pull out of that church, start another church right there in their small town. And now, now listen, he's not doing it himself. He's not going to pioneer the work himself. He has made a connection with another group, you know, a, a religious group that plants churches. You know, they're like a, like a, a fellowship of churches. And they're going to start an, a church in that little town. And he hopes... He's going to be the pastor. That's not a, that's not a, a slam dunk yet, but that's, that's what he believes is going to happen. He believes he's going to be the pastor. Well, now, if you look at this from the other side, if you look at it from the outside, let's say you look at it from the side of this uh, fellowship of churches, this organization. Ooh, look what we're doing. We're planting new churches every day. You know, we planted so many churches in 2015. We planted so many churches in 2016. We're going to plant churches in 2017, and this is one of them. We're on the move. We're planting churches in these little cities all over. Well, see, that looks like they're really doing gangbusters for God. Well, is God in this? I'm not the judge, but to me it smells. To me, I'm, I, I, I have a problem with it. You're going to take a group of people out of this church and go essentially right down the street. Anywhere you go in that town is right down the street. You're going to split that church, split families, Start another church. And not, not a church bringing something new. A church just like this church. Same doctrine, same belief, same everything. 
Same sing out of the same hymnal, sing you know everything. Same songs, same church. It's going to be a different church. Well, is, did God give them a vision? You know, it's none of my business. But I have my doubts that God's in that. Uh, you say, well, you know, these people are disgruntled. Doesn't God have something for them? Well, wouldn't the best thing to be to just grow up? Not be disgruntled? Wouldn't that be the best thing? Just be mature? Not be a baby and not be childish? Wouldn't that be God's best plan? And, and just continue to grow? You know, and continue to, to uh, uh, be the anchor in that community and the Pentecostal uh, community of that town. They've been there for, you know, 100 years. Well, they've been there 100 years and haven't won this city yet. Yeah, well, I got another verse to that song. That other church isn't going to win that city either. Because when Jesus comes back, there's still going to be full of people full of the devil in that city. You're not going to win them all. But that goes back to the vision illusion that people have but anyway uh you know they, they they if you look at it from one side boy they're going gangbusters you know this organization they're planning churches well one of one of the things that you some of the things you can identify as gold silver and precious stones the word of god you know a true vision of god the the move of the holy ghost the power of the holy ghost if that's not involved in a church you know if you've got a substitute for the power of god is hay it's stubble it's straw, it's nothing. Another thing is ethics. Church ethics. Having good ethics is gold. Having bad ethics is straw. And, and people that do things to undermine what somebody else has done, you know, there, there's a scripture that covers that. And it goes like this. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. It doesn't say he'll reap it overnight, but I'm telling you, a church that's built on, on uh, bad ethics, unscrupulous things that undermines other congregations, I'm telling you, every, to put it in another more colloquial terms, everything that goes around comes around. And I, I don't want to be there on the day of, 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 of uh, reaping those kinds of things. So not everything that, that looks like it's flourishing is ultimately going to stand the test because every man's work will be tested, even by fire. And uh, so we need to have enough wisdom to know. Now, when I was a young man, I, I was in... Uh, you know, my early 20s, I got back to Fellowship Lord when I was 20 years old. And, you know, I had some background because I'd been raised in church. But, uh, you know, I started, I really started following the Lord really, you know, sincerely and, you know, with my whole heart. And in those early days, uh, the early, this was 1973 when I started going back to church, late 72 to early 73. And... Uh, 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, in those years, the charismatic renewal was going, and there was something going on all the time around town. And there were three churches. Now, I was feeding on word of faith. I was feeding on the word of faith. I was reading everything Kenneth Hagin had. I was listening to every cassette tape Kenneth Copeland. Brother Hagin would, would, would write a book, 
on redeem from the curse, and, and he'd have one cassette, redeem from the curse, redeem from the curse of poverty, sickness, and, and, and um, uh, spiritual death. Kenneth Copeland would preach a 16 series tapes out of that. 16 tape series out of Brother Hagin's one day. He did that with all of Brother Hagin's teachings. And, uh, and so I listened to everything Brother Copeland preached, you know, and, and I read everything Brother Hagin had in writing. And there were some churches in town that were, that were springing up that what, were what I call today quasi-word of faith. They promoted Kenneth Hagin, and they even had some of these uh, top-tier word of faith people coming through town would actually come and preach. Uh, Fred Price came to, to, to these churches. Not, he didn't come to all of them, but among these three. Had Fred Price, uh, Charles Caps, Kenneth Copeland, uh, Norval Hayes, they kind of came through Jackson, huh? Marilyn Hickey, they, they, these people kind of came through the Jacksonville area and they'd come into these churches. Well, those were word of faith, you know, uh, you know, stones of granite. I mean, those were, you know, big leaders in the word of faith. And a lot of my friends, even in my church, now in, in my church, in the church of God, it was a a mainline Pentecostal denomination. It didn't embrace the word of faith. Our church didn't preach the word of faith. Our pastor didn't understand the word of faith, and he would. Now, the pastor that was there when I got back in the fellowship of the Lord, that was there when I was younger, that was so dear to me, he moved on. Another man came, and he would get up in the pulpit and openly criticize certain elements of the word of faith. It wasn't scriptural, and he just didn't understand, you know. Well, there were, there were people in my church. Now, you've heard me talk about this church. Even though it didn't understand the word of faith, there was a wonderful spirit of revival in that church all of those years from 73 to when the Lord called me out in 79. Just a wonderful spirit of revival. God was always moving. The doctrine wasn't, I didn't agree with a lot of times, but God was in it because, because there were, there, there, you say we have to base things on the word, but there was a lot of word there. There was a lot of Pentecostal truths there that are very deep and very, and very powerful and very true. But the point I'm making is there were other young people that came my age that came into the church. And at the same time, they got caught up in this, in this revival and they started going to this, this particular church of God with me. They started getting drawn into these other churches around town. Because big things were going on. I mean, these churches were growing. They were running. Our church, Church of God, we had about, what, 300, 350 on a good Sunday. You know, it was a good-sized church. These other Word of Faith churches were running seven, 800 people. They were really exploding. They had the big name. Well, when they'd have somebody, Charles Caps, I'd go over there on an alt night when we weren't having church. I'd go over there and hear him, you know. Kenneth Hagin went one time to one of those churches, and it wasn't pretty. I mean, he rebuked a bunch of stuff. It was, anyway, it's a long story. But uh, uh, they weren't happy when he left. But anyway, that happened right before the summer, right before we went out to Rainbow. But anyway, uh, those churches, I said they were quasi-word of faith. They, were, they had word of faith teaching, but they were primarily shepherdship, discipleship churches. That was their, that was their strongest effort, uh, emphasis. If you don't understand what that is, good. And... Uh, my, my friends were enticed away from this church because they didn't see it as being, the church we were in, as being the cutting edge, what God was really doing. I don't know how I had enough insight, but somehow I, just on the inside, I had a, I had a value for 
some of the things that I've talked about around here about church or, or, or spiritual heritage and legacy. And, and I remember thinking to myself, yeah, my church, you know, I, I'd like to hear more word of faith at my church, but I look around and I see a legacy of people that have their families have been serving God for generations right here in this church. Friends that I grew up with, my parents grew up with, cousins, uh, other people. Now, I'm going to cash in all of that and go over here to the, to the, listen, not everything that glitters is gold. And some things that flash are just flash. I'm not going to go over here and join myself to this thing that seems to be the greatest thing. And they've got a, they've got a short legacy. I mean, they've got a short history. Do you know today only one of those three churches even exists? And the one church has gone through... Uh, In other words, it climbed up to very big. It's a shadow of what it used to be. None of those preachers come anymore. It's it's gone so far the other direction. The false doctrine that was at the foundation of it that was kind of hidden eventually came to light and, and it killed the church off. Well, now where would I be if I'd taken my family and moved over there and joined myself to that? So what I'm saying is there's a foundation for churches. Gold, silver, precious stones. It's the pure word of God, the pure doctrine of of the New Testament. The fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ. The move of the spirit. A true vision from God. And church ethics. I can't stress that too much. God didn't call people and raise up churches to destroy other churches. Now, when we started our church, and I'm over just a minute, but I'll, I'll, I'll close with this just a minute. When we started our church in 1980, yes, we're a Pentecostal church, and there were other Pentecostal, other Pentecostal church in town. There's a church of God in town. We started not because somebody left one of those Pentecostal churches. The people that, that, that invited me to come in and, and do a Bible study we're going to a Methodist church way out in the way. It was Tuscanoogie Methodist out in Fort, Light, Fort White. They had been filled with the Holy Spirit a few months before they contacted me. And that church, you know, had, had, had been around for, it was a hundred-year-old church. It's never going to agree with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the move of the Spirit, Ever. Well, God's not going to leave people in a church where they're going, they're, they're, they're new, deeper experience of God, and God's going to just die out. They're not, God's not going to leave them there. He's going to lead them out of that. But you know, when they left that church, they, and they, came, they invited me to come in, and the, I came one Thursday night, and the next they invited me to come the next week, and then they informed me that they had left their church and they wanted to start a church. I thought, oh, Lord, what in the world have I gotten into? They went to the leaders of that church. They all lived in the Fort White area in a very small circumference, within three or four miles of one another. They all lived out there. And they went to the leaders of that church and said, listen, this is why we're leaving. We love you guys. These were longtime family friends. that They'd been friends for decades. And they said, you know, they cried They said, you know, we love you guys, but we have just got to go out. Well, naturally, 
in, in to some degree, the people from the you know in that church they felt probably hurt to some degree because they're losing all the life out of their church. They might not agree with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but those were the those those were the people with life. Well, it probably hurt their feelings, but I can testify that over the years those people were in this church. I never heard one, not one negative, fault-finding thing ever spoken about that church. Every word I ever, ever heard about the members of that former church were terms of, in terms of endearment and how precious they were and how godly they were and how they loved them. I never heard anybody speak ill of them. Well, we, we, we moved to High Springs. Well, we're a Pentecostal church, but our church is so different than the church of God that for a number of years, we didn't even advertise as Pentecostal. We called ourselves charismatic, and the, the two worlds were really far apart. And so what we offered in this town was something that, that the church of God that I, I, I love because that's what I was raised in. I, that, that church is precious to me. But we were so different that we didn't, not one person from that Pentecostal church. We were, no one was preaching the word of faith when we came to, to High Springs in 1980. No one. No one had preached it ever here. And what we built our church on was, was on a move of God, something that God was doing. It didn't take away from anybody. Nobody ever left one of those churches. I never allowed, not even did, did I not encourage it, I never allowed anybody in our church. Don't you go after people from another church. That's not what God called us to do. God, God will bless this church. We're just going to obey God, preach the word, and he'll send who he wants to. But what I'm saying is ethics are so important. Well, praise the Lord. Churches need to endure not only the test of time, but the times of testing. Amen. Well, praise God. I didn't finish, but, but I'm pretty close. I may or may not go on next time, but praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Praise God. When God raises up a church and he puts you in a part, in, in, makes you a part of that church, there's a reason for that. Remember, and I'll, I'll leave it. I may preach on this next time. I might not. Remember, Jesus had people who were offended at him. Just because people leave don't, doesn't mean that there's something wrong. There were people. There, it says many of Jesus' disciples turned their back and walked away and no longer followed him. Literally, it says they went to the back because they were offended at his words. They were interested in the flash. They were interested in the miracles and the meals and all the goosebumps. And they were interested in all those things, but the words offended them. And so if it can happen to Jesus, it'll happen to anybody. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.